Hi, my name is Joshua Fultz. I am a permanent deacon for the Roman Catholic Church in the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph. Okay, I have so many questions about your title, but the first one is one I just like teased you 30 seconds ago when I heard you say permanent. Are there temporary deacons of the Roman Catholic Church? Yes, so every priest, before he's ordained a priest, is ordained a deacon. And so they're considered um, temporary or um, transitional deacons because there's going to be that transition point where they go from deacon to priest. Okay, so before they become a priest, they go, deacon, from my understanding, is a high level, or is it the highest level that the layperson can be? In the what are, are, are there a variety of positions a layperson can have that are official? So, um, honestly, there, if you get into the laity, yeah. you, you could have a position in the church that um, would be clerical or something that way. Okay. Um, that would be a position, but as w- pertains to mass, yes, um, we do have. Inst- so there's there's other could be as right. there's admin stuff. Obviously, there's all right. kinds of people who help the church. Right. right. Exactly. And so if you get into um, looking at just mass, we do have what are called instituted lectors and instituted acolytes, and actually that's part of our formation as deacons is we go through those stages as well of um, becoming instituted lectors first and then move to instituted acolyte. And Do some so, people decide to stop at those transitional spots? and like, I don't feel like going the whole way to deacon. Can I just stop here at instituted lector? Not usually they don't do that. <laughs> Sometimes they do. Okay. And so there are guys who, as they're going through formation, go, no, I'm, this isn't where I'm called. And so they will go ahead and opt out. Um, but really with formation, it's not just you making the, the decision. It's the candidate himself, his wife, and the church. Do you have to be married to become a deacon? No. Okay. No. So there are deacons who are widowers, um, and but most of us, most of us, I would say, are married. Okay. And um, there are, but there are a few widowers that are um, that are deacons. I don't know if there are any that who were never married. Yeah. Um, that would just be. It could be possible. So. And I interrupted you. You were saying like how do you, the decision to step the steps to deacon? Sure. The the, the candidate himself, the wife. Who else? What? Who else decides? Right. So if at any point the deacon's wife decides he should not be a deacon, or the candidate's wife decides he should not be a deacon, she can pull the plug immediately and say, "No, this isn't right." And so at any point the wife says no, formation's over. And so if any point um, we have. Every year we'd have to meet with a committee formed of um, priests, other deacons, and uh, there were some religious that were in there, so some nuns that were a part of our council that would meet with us. Um, and if they decided something you were saying didn't sound right or it didn't sound like this really was your calling, they could say, no, we think you should not continue with formation either not now they could say not ever um and so it's it's kind of a balance of the church your wife and yourself making this decision of is this calling really there what was the entire process what what why did you want to be a deacon i didn't what (laughs) i heard all the work that went into it so why did (laughs) 
you could have just opted out, or did I you feel a calling? So What'd you it, do it for? Well, it's, it's much much like Moses. I mean, did Moses really want to go and and lead the people out of uh, Egypt? So you really didn't want to. You knew about the DAC and it. You knew about the work deacons do, and you're like, that was not necessarily appealing. You're not like jumping on the. Well, being um, see, I'm a convert, and so whenever we came into the church in 2005, there was a deacon couple. Um, Steve and Catherine Walsh, who are huge in our formation process of just becoming Catholic. And so I thought, that's very admirable. That is awesome that they do that. And I could see their work in the church. And I went, that is a, a life of service. And I said, you know, I always admired it. Yeah. Um, but in my own mind, I know all my own sins in my past. And I'm going, I'm not the pious guy. <laughs> This should be a deacon. <laughs> okay. But here's the problem. God doesn't use pious guys all the time. Sometimes he goes out and he finds the, the, the guys that have that past and they go, you know what? You can talk to those people who are living in those circumstances. <laughs> right, right. And right. understand their language and, and explain to them the faith. So. so did you have private moments or did people sort of talk you into it in conversations with them about what's entailed by it? and Both. Okay. So, so... Um, as when I was a younger, I used to have a lot of dreams. Very, I, I being an artist, yeah, I have very vibrant dreams. And way before you converted to the Catholic Church, right? Okay, right. And so I would have these dreams where I really believed that God was speaking to me. And so hard things in my life, there would be those moments where it would be a, a dream of comfort that worries, like you no, know, keep keep going, you're you're gonna make it. Um, but there was one that I never could understand. And so it was one of, I'm going to call you to do something very hard. I'm going to call you to be a warrior for me. And it's going to be very hard, but because you do it, there will be fruit that comes from it. And so as a little kid, you, I mean... Wait, so how, well, how so old like are you when you have us? So okay. like 10 to 12. And then, how, what was the faith like of your, at your time when you were 10 or 12 then? So it, 10 or 12, I was actually going to a Nazarene church mm -hmm. with my um, adopted father, uh, his mother, and my two stepbrothers were going to the Nazarene church. And so I would go with them on Sundays. So it was go in at 9 a.m. for Sunday school, stay all the way through. Um, It'd be about one o'clock by the time we got out of there. One in the afternoon. So four hours is a pretty long slog. Well, yeah, because you you've got the regular church, and then you had you know Sunday school, then regular church, and then you had another little break, and then you come back for the afternoon little piece, and then you had the lunch, the yeah. potluck, is where everybody brought stuff. So, so when you remember this dream, did this dream seem to fit in? Did you did you tell your your uh, ado your adopted dad? Did you tell family? Well, no, because my, my dad and mom, so okay. whenever, whenever I say my dad and my mom, it's my adopted father. So okay. he raised me since I was three. Um, and so, and of course, my mom's my mom. So he adopted me just to change my name. Okay. Um, because I he decided I was his son, and he asked me if I wanted to change my name, and I said, yeah. Um, and so... Um, yeah, do you remember telling him about your your dream? No, I never told my... I didn't tell my parents about that, because they didn't actually... Go to church. Okay. So it was just me going with my stepbrothers. And so for me, church was always interesting. So getting into the Bible stories. And it was the whole, 
I and I I don't know if you ever grew up with this or not, but they had this felt board uh, with <laughs> okay. these little characters where you put them on the felt board and they would stick up there. Now there's going to be people out there that are who not... know exactly okay. what this is, but they would tell the little Bible stories and they would have these little pictures of the felt characters. Uh-huh. And you could do you think they come out of like a planned curriculum? Like everybody gets oh, yeah. them out of the same book? Oh yeah, yeah. sticks yeah. them on so the felt board. There's okay. like a, a like a huge Protestant book out there with this. <laughs> We need it for the Catholic Church, too, yeah. but it, uh, I don't know. Anyways, so for me, it was always interesting to dig into the faith. And, and I had kind of that childlike faith, that faith understanding. And so, of course, I get to about the age of 16, and I've got a car and a girlfriend and I'm working. And, oh, I start believing the church is all about nothing but money. And so I went ahead and I'm like, nah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to step away. Do you remember what it was? Was there a particular, was there a new story or an experience you had kind of behind the scenes that was disappointing? What do you think it was in your head that you're like, I don't think church is for me. This place feels. Honestly, I think it was more, I was just tired of being put into every Easter play. <laughs> like forced volunteerism yeah, is yeah, what was, you were trying like I was okay. getting, I was getting forced into all the Easter plays and this is that. And, and the, the person who was in charge of them was not the nicest person in the world. Okay. And so I was just, I wanted to be lazy. I just didn't want to right. do it. So, yeah. So so I left. And then, you know, when I get married and um, Mandy, my wife, was like, no, we're, we're going to find a church. Yeah. We're going to She church. wasn't locked in on a particular one, but she's like, right. we're finding a church. Right. Because she grew up going to Lutheran church. Okay. But, you know, she wanted to go to church. And so we tried various ones. And there's some really interesting churches out there. That's where I'm going to leave that one. <laughs> they minute. didn't appeal to you in the same way that the Roman Catholic Church did. No, and that's that's just it. They didn't have the reverence that I felt that the, the church needed. There needed to be some kind of reverence there. And so I found that with the Roman Catholic Church. And so there's a whole conversion story there, too. But When you say reverence, what do you mean? What does that feel like to you? Like, what does that feel like to you? Because I will, I will tell you, your face, your face got serious. So to me, it was like reverence, like... You take this thing seriously. It's a real thing. Exactly. So, okay. Exactly. So, to me, reverence is not rock guitars. I, you know, <laughs> I, I love some good Christian music. Um, there's a lot of bad Christian music out there. <laughs> there's some really good stuff out there. But that's for me. That's not whenever we're we're coming to worship God. Now, for other folks, that is. That's how they worship is with music and dancing and singing. For me. I want it to be a little more serious, and I want it to be, um, I don't know, I just, like even the music that we have at Mass, I prefer it when it's more that, kind of that old Gothic feel mm-hmm. of, you know, this is tradition, this goes back, this is... Are you, you know, bummed when there isn't enough church organ? Am I bummed when do there's... You love the, do you love the organ? I... I do like organ. I yeah. don't mind when it's you know, when they use a piano. Okay. Um, but now if they start doing drums and rock guitars, I'm... <laughs> so you're not about the drum circle. No, like it no, just doesn't just feel. Not, it doesn't feel. No, right. no, it's it's not where I'm at. I'm more of what you would call a traddy. Um, is that short for traditionalist? Yes. Okay. Is that like a thing? Is that you just made that up, or is that a thing that? No, that's actually a thing. So so some people like to say that. Oh, those are the orthodox. Well. Let's let's get it. Orthodox Catholicism means that you're following church teaching. You don't have to be a tratty to follow church teaching. 
So Traddy is more like, you just like, there are different trappings that you like. You like the way this looks, you like the way this sounds, right. you like the way this feels. Right. It's more aesthetic so, things that bring you closer to God. So I want more Latin yeah. responses in like the prayers. I want more that traditional music. So like, um, let all mortal flesh be silent is one of the songs that is one of my favorites. Um Rather than on Eagle's Wings, which is more kind of a seventies <laughs> feel good, you right. know, this one's more like, hey, we need to be silent, we need to be reflecting, we need to be really thinking about our relationship with God. Yeah, um, especially in the Catholic Church, since we believe in the real presence of the bread and the wine becoming the body and blood, and so with that belief, I think there needs to be this certain seriousness of okay let's get down to serious faith what do we believe and if we really believe that we're going to be reverent we're going to be kneeling we're going to be making these responses so for me i think you get a little more reverence with some of those classical pieces that were always with the church um for other people that's not their experience right they want to hear everything in english because that helps them to feel more involved yeah um, um, how much now looking back now that you, so how many, how long did it take you to become a deacon? So it was a five year process. Okay. Five years of that mm-hmm. time when you say maybe part of it was service to the church, service to the, the Christians of the church, or how much of it, as you it got into the process, was that tradition, that sense of tr- that traditional sense, that tratty sense, how much of it do you think was like a thing? I can be closer to this thing that gets me closer to God. Or do you think it was still the serving the people, serving the church, or is it all mixed together? It's all kind of mixed together because really when you come down to it, we kind of, we've, we've kind of come around the curve on how formation <laughs> happened and how I became a deacon. So there were a lot of people that were coming up to me. Um, I was doing a lot of things for the church. I was teaching confirmation, teaching RCIA. All that stuff you tried to squeeze out of when you were a wild, crazy 16-year-old. Oh, yeah. So all those <laughs> all those things, all of a sudden, whenever we joined the church, they, they were like getting us involved. So we started out as we were ushers because that's all we could do. Because right. whenever you join the Catholic Church, for they say for the first year, you should just experience the church. Okay. See everything that's there. Then after the first year, then start getting involved in various things. So I started off by being a sponsor for RCIA. So that's the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. Okay. So that's the process of coming into the church. So I started off just being a sponsor and going through the process again with someone else. Okay. Where I'm helping them understand the faith. Um, I already had a good Christian background just from that earlier, you know, experience in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still kind of like that, that childlike view of, of faith. The Catholic Church helped me kind of expand that and go, okay, here's the more adult questions and answers and so those adult questions i had as a kid that i wasn't getting answers to i was now starting to get those answers and starting to see here's all these people for two thousand years who have been thinking about this and reading their writings and going okay now i understand and so teaching rcia and working with that started to help me to to grow and want to know more well then um they needed someone to teach confirmation and teenagers. And, of course, Mandy and I were the youngest ones <laughs> in the church. And they were like, well, the kids seem to resonate with you. And I'm like, well, okay, that's because I act like a teenager. Right. I understand. <laughs> right. I get it. Um, and so we did that for a number of years. And so you really have to dig into your faith and understand things because kids will ask you those questions. Yeah. 
and you have to be ready with those answers. And it really forced me to, to start reading like Aquinas, and Augustine, and, and some of these other um, church fathers to go, okay, what were they saying? And how were they answering the question? And how can I make that viable for these kids to understand in their world? Yeah. Um, because, you know, the world changes around us. Um, and we have to, I don't think the teachings do. I think they're still very applicable. And so bringing them over, it really helped me to kind of dig into my faith. So as I'm digging into those, I'm becoming more traditional. Do you remember when you first started teaching confirmation? Were, did had, had you already been prepped for all the crazy questions that will come? And, and, or did you have like a thing like, I don't actually have the answer to this kid's question. This is a really good question. I don't have the answer. I could give him some answer and maybe you did, but like, I don't know enough. What am I doing? Actually, no, I wasn't prepped. I wasn't ready. Okay, they just tossed no, you they in. Just, they just you can teach in. us, here's the book, show up at X time. Well, actually, I had to go out and find the book. Oh, okay. <laughs> And so I found a good, you know, I, I looked at the resources that the diocese suggested. Right. And I went out and chose one of them. And, and it actually forced you to, it said, here's an outline. Okay. But you got to write your own words. Oh, okay. And so they gave, you know, and so I used that, which was great. Because then I really had to, okay, here's an outline, but I need to know more. So then the first year, you sound like the situation which happens to a lot of people, especially in Sunday school, which is you are one step ahead of the kids. Right. Like you did it a month ago or two weeks ago, and you've thought about all this, and now you're presenting it. It's not that you did this 20 years ago, right. and you've been studying it for 20 years right. ago. You're just one yeah. step away, which is all you need. Just one step is enough. Yeah. So that first year, it was, it was like, okay, <laughs> here we go. And you got teenagers and... Um, you know, you get into, and at that time it was a two year process for confirmation. Okay. And so you're with these kids for two years and you really get a chance to know them and, and spend time with their families and, and, and meet them. And it's like, then we started moving into a one year process and you're like going, how do I get that two years down to one? And you're like trying to distill the information. So that forces you again to start looking at the faith and going, okay, how do I distill this down shorter Yeah, and still get the t- kids through what we would have normally done in two years? Now I'm, I've got one to get it done. And so it, it really forces you to look at the faith. And so as I'm looking at that, and people are watching me yeah. in the church, and you never think about that. When you're doing these things, I, well, maybe people do. I never thought about it. Okay. <laughs> I, I'll put it that way. I never thought about it. Were people watching me? Yeah. But people were watching me and they kept coming up. Have you thought about being a deacon? No, it's not. That's not me. I'm not pious. I'm I'm the funny guy that teaches confirmation. That's that's who I am. Just leave right. me. I'm the fat, funny guy. That's it. Okay. And so they kept asking and they kept asking. And um, the deacon couple even, they kept bringing me to the meetings for the uh, formation. Mm-hmm. And they were actually bringing me before I was even... Um, you're saying is formation that five-year process to become a deacon? Right. And okay. so there's a meeting beforehand okay. where you get the packet that you have to fill out. In fact, you got to be one of the letters that I had to have. All right, I remember. Yeah. So <laughs> it, was, um, it was interesting. And so they were bringing me to those meetings before I was even eligible. Okay. So you cannot become a deacon until you're the age of 35. Um, and so they were already, when we first joined the church, they were really pushing we really think you should be a deacon. We really think, and it's like, I'm just learning the lay of the land here. And I'm like, right. no, it's not the right time. And I knew at that point it wasn't the right time. 
Um, and then the second time that it came back around, because it's every five years. Yeah. So the second time it came around, I went, hmm, we've got a lot of stuff going on in our life right now. It just wasn't right. Okay. And I knew it wasn't right. Now it was coming around again. And so I've got the deacon couple. I've got more people coming in and going, have you thought about being a deacon? And finally, my priest, uh, Father Powers, walked up to me and he goes, when are you going to put in your application to be a deacon? <laughs> and at that point, I've already kind of got this inclination from God going in the back of my head because I've got all these people talking to me and I'm going, God, are you, are you trying to tell me something? So I'm spending time in prayer. And when Father Powers walks up and asks, when are you going to do it? It was like, okay, I'll do it. Fine. It's kind of like <laughs> Moses, but I stutter. And God goes, I don't care. And so, yeah, I, had, I, had to, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, God wants this. Okay, let's go. It's five years. We'll see what happens. And is it just five years of a mix of study and meeting with people and doing service or they're also beyond beyond that are there particular things there that you didn't know about or that people might be surprised to find out that are part of that five-year formation process oh no we we knew our entire five-year process before we ever started they okay. already had a schedule and it was like here's gonna be your line out a five-year schedule so what was yeah. I, like is it just a syllabus like how extreme what kind of stuff is on there okay so we've got three different uh well three or four different pillars that we actually look at. Okay. And so you've got your, your spiritual development, you've got your academic development, and then you've got your human development. And then there's another pillar in there somewhere where I've, I've obviously haven't developed it enough. <laughs> but th those three really are the ones where they're looking at, you've now got a spiritual director who's looking at what are you doing spiritual-wise. Okay. What are you reading? How's your prayer life? You know, what are those things that you're doing? So you're meeting with them every month. Um, and I continue to meet with a spiritual director. Now, I've, I've gone through different ones because priests move, they retire, yeah. you know. Um, Is it always a priest who does that? For me, I always choose a priest. Okay. Um, there are spiritual directors out there who aren't. Okay. Um, for me, I would prefer it be a priest because they have kind of that same, um, well, they've got actually more academic formation than I have. Um, but I, I want someone who's really kind of, that's their life. Mm -hmm. Is faith, and so I'll even if it's not a priest, I would probably go to a religious monk. Okay, um, which I've I had one that was a religious monk priest. Yeah, um, for quite a while. But some yeah. so some people would choose a, a lay person, or they choose another deacon. Could a deacon be a spiritual Actually, director? For, or it has to be in, somebody in formation. They t it has to be a priest. Okay, and so they give us a list of priests that are available, and we have to choose. Okay, and so, um, so we have that piece of where we're really looking at what's our spiritual life like. Because if you don't have a healthy spiritual life, really, you, you may not be called to be a deacon. You might think it looks neat to be on the altar. You might think it, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to get power or something that way. There could be those wrong reasons that you're wanting to be a deacon. For me, it's always been about the service and, and always wanting to help people and go out and do service. Um, I've fallen in love with... Um, the mass more, mm -hmm. ha, you know, after being a deacon and being able to assist. And so for me, it's a very spiritual moment to be up there assisting the priest um, at mass. What do you, what literally, what do you do during the service that you could, you do as a deacon that other people cannot? Um, I read the gospel. Okay. Um, well, let me start from the beginning. So 
at the very beginning of Mass, we have the penitential rite, was okay. where we acknowledge that we're all sinners. And so even the priest and the deacon, we're acknowledging that we're sinners. And so we're saying those words. And um, there is a piece to that where we go, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And there's different ways that we can do that. Um, if I'm just going to be, during certain seasons, I may just have a phrases that I say. So I might say, um, you came to heal all sinners. Lord, have mercy. And then everybody repeats, Lord, have mercy. Um, you call all sinners to you. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Or I might sing the Kyrie, which is um, Greek, so it's not really Latin. I want to always want to call it Latin, but it's not as Greek. <laughs> uh, but I, I chant the Kyrie, and they respond with the chant of, you know, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison. And these are things that in your absence the priest would do? Right. Okay. Right. And so there are everything that a deacon does, the priest does. Okay. But if a deacon is present, that's what the deacon is supposed to do. So um, we go from the penitential rite to next would be the reading of the gospel. So the reading of the gospel is only done by a priest or a deacon. And so the, if a deacon is there, that's our job is to get up and read the gospel. Um, a priest can choose whether or not he allows the deacon to preach in his parish. We all, as deacons, do have a charism to preaching. Um, and we were trained through our formation. That's part of our academic formation is how to um, give effective homilies. Is Are you required to give one at some point? Or maybe not the opportunity might not come up, so you may never be called to do it. It just depends on the priest. It really okay. does. It's the pastor in that parish has the choice of, yeah, I, I'm okay with the deacon preaching, or no, I don't want the deacon preaching. So I've got brothers who are not allowed to preach at all. Right. And then myself, I preach every six, I have two priests in my parish, and so for each one of them, I preach every six weeks. So actually every three weeks, I'm preaching. Okay. Um, and so, um, and then you've got guys that preach once a month, yeah, you know, there's so it's just depends on what parish you're in and what your priest says. Okay, and what part of the of the main ritual do you participate in? Okay, so So we're I, doing like prayers and and, and so that's that's stuff liturgy. That's we, in, yes, yes liturgy, so we've right. got liturgy the word first. Yes. Um and so after that we then we get to the prayers of the faithful. Mm -hmm. And so those are normally should be written by the deacon and then um spoken by the deacon and then every so we'll come up with a prayer you know for the church and that she remains faithful in these hard times we pray to the lord and everybody responds back lord hear our prayer um and are these out of the codified liturgy or are these things that are ever an expression of someone's in the moment um they should be written down but okay. we can very much take into account what's happening in the world okay um so like we pray for an end to terrorism you know, we, we pray for a uniting of the Christian, Christian people. You know, those kind of things we can put in there. Um, so, yeah, it, I do have a book that is a standardized book from the church that says, here's what we suggest. Yeah. And then you can add, take away, or, you know, combine. Uh, we do pray for the sick in our parish. And so we'll have a sick list. And okay. 
we might pray for specific individuals that are going through chemotherapy or have something that is really going on with them. We also pray for our dead. And so anybody who has died recently, and then every Mass has an intention. And so depending on what the intention for that Mass is, it might be a person, it might be for the parish itself. Um, who, would, who would set that intention for the... That was, normally that's an administrative kind of thing. So okay. people, like if I have my grandma died and all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, I want to have a mass said for her. I can give an offering to the church. I think it's like 10 bucks. Okay. I give the church 10 bucks and they'll say a mass for her. Okay. And so her name at one of the weekday masses or the Sunday masses will be said as this is the intention for the mass. And so, but if anybody else has died through that week, we'll pray for those souls as well. Yeah. So... Um, and then we move into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so that's where we kind of move to the altar. And so that's when the consecration is going to happen. And for a deacon, my job is only to assist. So I'm going to, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to set up the altar. So I'm going to set out the corporal, and this is where everything's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get the book set up. For the priest and ready to go. So I've. When you say set up the corporal, are you talking about out of sight or is the thing that on the altar that's in sight? So a corporal is a fairly large uh, square cloth. Okay. That I'm going to lay out on the altar. Okay. Okay. And so we're going to. I'm going to lay it out first because that's where the chalice is going to sit. That I'll have the wine that will become the blood, mm-hmm. and that's where the paten or the little. It looks like a little uh, gold plate. Mm-hmm. Um, will set that has the host that will become the body. Um, anything that is going to become the body and the blood is going to be on that corporal. Nothing else goes on it. Nothing else goes on it. Okay. So because that's the, the area of intention. So whatever the priest intends to be transubstantiated um, mm-hmm. into the body and blood, goes on that corporal. So we have to make sure it's all there. Wait, when you say the priest intending, now you talked about intention as kind of we're focusing on a person. Does the priest take in all these ideas about what's what's happening to the congregation, what's happening around them? And is that part of the transubstantiation? What is the priest intending when the priest no, no. intends transubstantiation? So when it's transubstantiation, when I say by intention, yes. is it means that every host in the church doesn't become the body and blood. Okay. Because we still have other ones that are, you know, back in the back. I got gotcha. you. For the next Mass. Right. Well, that's not the intention. The intention's right here. Just what's on this cloth okay. is going to be transubstantiated. Okay. So the substance is going to change in just that alone. Okay. Um, so that's what I mean by intention. So gotcha. now there is a piece whenever we're in the, the Liturgy of the Eucharist where there is a prayer about, you know, let the angel of God come down and take our offering up. That's why I encourage people um, when they're bringing the gifts forward. So what we call the gifts, the bread and the wine, they'll bring that forward mm-hmm. as part of um, the liturgy of the Eucharist. Um, and so when they bring that forward, I always encourage everybody, put everything that you have that needs to go on the altar. So I'm getting a divorce. Uh, my kids are not practicing their faith. I'm just struggling with depression. I feel like killing myself. You know, anything that is that do you need to bring to God, you put it there with those people coming up. And so that your intention, you know, your your prayers go on the altar. Because that's very much a part of that. So that whenever we lift that sacrifice up to God, 
all your prayers are going with it. It's all of the sacrifice. So not just what's on the altar, but also your prayers that okay. have been placed on the altar. So um, now I'm, I'm trying to think. So we we've no, you so you set it all up. So we yes. we get the, we get everything up there, and then it's my job to um, make sure it's set and ready for the priest. The kids, you know, we have servers who are kids, mm-hmm. and they'll come up, and so they'll have the wine and the water. Are there age requirements or something for that? Or is it usually, just we, you're usually it's fifth graders. Okay. So we, it's. I think there have been some kids that were younger than that. Okay. But it's when they're we, capable, and it's typically right, fifth grade. Okay. When they can understand. Okay. What they need to be, what they need to do, and when they can understand signals for me when they forget <laughs> what they're supposed to be doing. Uh huh. Because that does Because they get distracted. I mean, kids get distracted. Exactly. They're kids. Right. And so I always laugh. I, I don't ever get mad. I've seen people get mad at servers. Why get mad? They're kids. You know, they're going to they're gonna mess up. <laughs> now, what are, they, are they, what are they responsible for? So they're responsible for just basically bringing things to us that we need. Okay. And so whenever I'm setting up the altar, they're bringing all the pieces up to me. Okay. So they're bringing the chalices because we have the main chalice, the presider's chalice for the priest. Mm-hmm. And then we have other chalices and what we call ciborium, so bowls that hold um, the body okay. that will be, you know, distributed. Um, so they bring all those pieces up for me, and so I, as they help with that whole setup, and then um, so they'll bring me the wine. It's my job to pour the cups, okay, um, and to make sure. And there's a special prayer that I say as I pour water into the presider's chalice that. Um, that is my job to make sure it's said if I'm there assisting. And so I do that, hand the cup to the priest. He continues the, the prayer. Um, and then the servers will bring up, they'll they'll come up. And so one of the pieces they do is the priest will turn and wash his hands. Mm-hmm. And so they help with that process. And so, and then we go into the liturgy. And at that point, I'm just kind of, I'm there on the side. Um, some priests, it just depends on the priest. Some priests want a deacon doing more. Some priests don't want the deacon doing that much. Um, I have one priest that likes me to, whenever he puts his hand on the chalice, that's my signal to remove what is called the pall, which is kind of like a cloth-covered board that sits on top of the cup that makes sure nothing gets into the, the chalice. And some priests would prefer to remove that themselves. Some priests, re- okay. yeah, exactly. They want to run that themselves. And if I'm up there, they feel like I'm crowding them. Okay. Which I'm not a small guy anyways. <laughs> and so depending on the size of the altar, yeah, okay. you, you, what you what you got to do. But um, so I might be helping with that. But for the most part, I'm just in prayer. And it's very much trying to be the example for the lay people who are sitting out in the pews, because at that point, after becoming a deacon, after you're ordained, I am no longer really a lay person. And that's, I think for some people that's hard to understand is that we are ordained clergy. And I think even for some priests, it's hard to understand that deacons are ordained clergy. Do you look into the history, maybe this is too deep, but have you looked into the history of, of deacons? And is is this, you know, Long, long history or relatively new thing. Hundreds. How many? How long are we looking? Oh, this I mean, idea of can, a person who's not a priest who's ordained within okay. the within the church. So actually, if you go back to the Acts of the Apostles, okay, deacons came along before priests. So, which is a, a hard thing for people to understand. <laughs> 
There were the apostles, and yeah, so they were okay. the, they were the bishops, and so they would they would make other bishops. Well, the apostles were noticing when people were complaining, we're not getting enough. You know, you guys are. You know, there's only this many of you. There aren't enough bishops. There aren't enough bishops. Yeah. The church is growing. We're we're and they're they're complaining. We need we need spiritual. You know, we need the spiritual food too. And so, the apostles went, hey. Let's pick out some guys that we know to be solid. We know these characteristics about them. We'll ordain them, and their job will be to serve at table, which means it was our job as deacons from the beginning to go out and to serve the people. So to take the Eucharist to people yes. that couldn't be at a Mass. Because really the first, you know, the early churches, a lot of them were done in siding and secret because um, Christians were being killed. And so deacon's job was to go out and to preach and to spread the word of God, but also to take the Eucharist out to um, the people who need it. And it was our job to take care of widows and orphans. And so it's always been, the deacon's role has always been one of service. Well, then as the church began to grow and you've got all these bishops, well, now we need more priests who can go out because deacons can't do the um, consecration. Okay. So we can't do that. So we can't consecrate the Eucharist. You have to have a priest or a bishop for so that. So there'll be no transubstantiation right. no. of the body of Christ no. and, and the if, blood of Christ if without the priest. If you're ever at a Mass and all of a sudden the deacon <laughs> says he's going to do the, yeah, just walk out. Just walk he out. Does, so they could vi they could help everyone with all the prayers and, and all the service and all the help, yeah, but so they couldn't do that one. Part. We can do what's called a communion service. And so we can take the, the body out okay. to the people and do like the readings and the prayers and those pieces, but we're not doing the the consecration. So we're not transubstantiating anything, but then we can hand the body out to the people, to the sick. Um, that was the idea. We're going out to the people where they needed it. Okay. Um, and being of service. So that's actually the diaconia is where deacon comes from. And diaconia just means service or service. And does that mean, you know, you said at the beginning, I mean, as much as you, you called yourself a tratty, you're like, I love the service. I love the Latin. I love all this. But your main draw was being of service to these people. Right. And so is that, I feel like in right. all the times I've talked to you about becoming a deacon also, that is a huge draw. The fact that you right. can be of more service and do more things for all these people who need it. Is that still the biggest draw to you? Like, Right. Actually, it is. It's service is the, the draw for me in being a deacon. Um, I've fallen more in love with these other pieces that I thought, I would never care if I was allowed to do that. Okay. Well, no, I care because it is so very spiritual and uplifting for me to be there and assist. Yeah. That's the piece. I'm assisting. And so you talked about history. Yeah, there was a history between priests and deacons to where you had deacons who were going out and acting as priests and not acting as assistants because... There weren't enough priests around or whatever was going on. Sure. You had deacons doing things they shouldn't have. And so the church went, we're going to cut. We're not going to have deacons. Okay. We're oh, so there was have, a period where they quit There was a period where, where was, there was no more permanent deacons. Okay. And there were, all there was was that transitional deacon going priests into the Priests who were priest not deacon. yet priests. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so that was it. There was no, like me, being a lay, uh, married man, um, being just a deacon. Right. So that, that ended, and then it was brought back with Vatican II in the, um, in the 60, late 60s. And so um, 
like our class is just class 20. Oh, so that is fascinating. It's such a brand new thing again to the church, right. relatively speaking, in history. Right. And so you do have a lot of large classes now. Um, classes are getting bigger and bigger. We had 11 guys in our class. The next class that came after us um, started out with 25. Yeah. I think their 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 numbers have dropped off. Okay. Um, I am one of the, I may be the youngest deacon in the diocese. Um, I'm 42. And so... You've got some guys... And you said you can only start it at 35 is right. when you could start. Well, no, no. You have to be 35 to Oh, be. so you could have started it in your 30s. 30. I got you. I could have started at 30 and been 30 as long as I was 35. Okay. Or they went to the bishop and the bishop did all the paperwork to say, yes, it's okay. But it is tremendously demanding. I think about the difference between the kind of service and the kind of volunteer opportunities there are for people in a synagogue and yes, there is some intensive study you could engage in, but the idea of this long process, only the cantors and the rabbis and the people who are going to hold a position in the community are going to have the time and the energy to go through all this stuff. So I understand, especially with young people working on their careers. They may go to church all the time, but they're working on their careers and they got their families and are doing all this stuff. They just don't have time for it until that point at which they're older, their career is lightening up, they yep. want to go back to, yeah. And so that's why most of our deacons are somewhere in their 50s to 60s. Okay. Um, and they say they don't want anybody being ordained past 60. So they want you in that that 40 something range to to you know 50 late 50s. Okay. You know, and we did have some guys that were like 61, 62 when they were ordained. But Do they, they give you a feeling what, what are, so I understand maybe, well, maybe I don't understand. What, if, from your understanding, is the reason maybe they're aiming for 35 to 60? Because years of service. Okay. You'll have the energy, you got the... Right. And so after, well, after you hit that 60 point, your years of service are going to be diminished depending okay. on your health. Um, but it's also, you know, what can you do? And so I think there, there, we still do have deacons who are in their 70s and 80s that are doing stuff. Yeah. And so they're still going to have, you know, depending on when they were ordained, you know, 20 and 30 year careers as deacons. Um, so me, I look at it and go, I, I don't think you want to ordain a 70 year old. Okay. <laughs> but... Heck, he might be the best in shape seventy year old you've ever right, met. Right, that's true. He, the so, guy makes it to one hundred ten or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you don't so, know. So, and and you, sometimes there are exceptions to rules, and you know, if they go to the church and ask, maybe. But I'm not in charge of that, and I won't speak for my bishop on that either. <laughs> Why is the wife? Um, I know Mandy was so involved in your years of study and you personally clearly was the one who said, hey, we're going to church. I'm not telling you which church, but we got to go to all these church, figure out which one's right for us. I think the spouses are involved in this deacon process. I understand they're, I understand it's important to have support from your partner in that way. Why are the spouses, why are the wives so important in this five-year process? Because if you're doing ministry, um, for the most part, there hasn't been a ministry that I've worked in that Mandy wasn't there with me. Okay. That's a part of our marriage. And so for... Now, wives were highly encouraged to join us in formation, and not all wives did. Um, there are some husbands and wives that do ministry apart, and they have different things they do, okay. and that's the way they run. But for Mandy and I, it's very much... 
we have to agree on the ministry or agree that, well, this is my ministry, that's your ministry, but we help each other here and there. Because there is going to be a, a large sacrifice of time and right. energy on the part right. of the person becoming the deacon. And so if it's better if we're working in ministry together, we're spending that time together. Yeah. Rather than me being off somewhere all the time, right, doing something, <laughs> you're already at a job, and now you've got right. your other spiritual job takes you off for an exactly. entire other. Well, see, and that's the piece we haven't even mentioned is that permanent deacons are not paid; is not a paid position with the church, and so this is 100% volunteer, and um, so we do have to have the day jobs. Now that's why also a lot of the guys are waiting until they're retired, yeah, because now they don't have the day job interfering. Because the day job can, depending on, now I'm lucky, my day job is fairly flexible, and I can shift my time to where I can go do some things. Yeah. Um, but not not everybody has that, so that they can shift their day. So they're doing everything in the evening. And, and so if you get your wife in there involved with you, it's time you're spending together. And if, if you've got a family with kids, that's the other reason you want to get your, if you had little kids, I can't imagine going through the five years of college that we had to go through where we're spending one weekend a month at Conception Abbey. Yeah. Intensive study starting Friday night, going all the way through Sunday morning. And then in another two weeks, you're going to be at Kansas city for an entire day working on another piece of formation. And this is time when other people, again, are running sports, the kid, their kids to exactly. sports. They're getting the house in exactly. shape after an insane week. And right, so, all this. Okay. And so we had a lot of guys who their wives would come up maybe for the, the weekend. Yeah. Um, and maybe not um, everyone because they had things going on with their kids. So they had teenagers. I don't think anybody had any really small kids in formation. It was all, or we had some families that did bring their kids up with them. Um, we actually did our formation with a group out of Iowa. Mm -hmm. And so they, there was a lot of those families that would bring their kids with them. Um, and so the kids would be there for the weekend. So you kind of get to know the whole family. Right. Um, but it's one of those things that's just rough because you got to look at how do you, how do you budget your time? For Mandy and I not being able to have children, it's easy. It's easier. Easier. It's easier. not like you both don't have jobs of your right. own. Right. So we have jobs. We have these things that we've got to do. And we've got you know people pulling us to be a part of different groups. Um, and so... Were there ever... It's five years is a long time. Five years is longer than the average college degree. Five years is a long time to do that, kind of doing this extra stuff with the jobs. Hmm. Do you remember, was there any time in that five years it was particularly rough to be able to find the time and the energy to be able to do the program? I, I would say the whole time it was rough. Okay. But I don't think anything that you're going to do that's worth it is not going to be rough. If it's too easy, I think you take it for granted. And so it was always a hurdle that we're worried about. Okay, what's this piece? What I got to do here? Um, the classes for me were very fun. Okay. I enjoyed. Where you get to do reading and then show up and discuss it and talk to the Right. Yeah. And then the, but then you're like going, oh, I have to write a paper. <laughs> right, uh, right. Now, we did get one a new professor that decided that we needed to write a paper yeah. for everything we read. <laughs> and so like between every month, he wanted us to write five papers and right. bring them. And we're uh, guys are going, hey, well, hang on. I've got a job. I can't, right. can't be writing five five-page papers. To turn into you right. every month, we can 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 you can you meet us halfway? 
And so, yeah, we, we, there were, there were some things like that to where you're going, Oh, I'm back in school (laughs) and it got rough. So there were moments where just spiritually it was getting rough. Why am I doing this? You know, you start going, is this my call? But you should be doing that through this formation process. That's exactly what this is. Is, am I supposed to be here? Right. And so clear up until the end, I'm going, they told us at the very beginning, you are not guaranteed to be a deacon. You could go through this entire process and not become a deacon. And that's what I kept in my head. I am not guaranteed. So it was always this kind of, and there would be times where guys, you know, older deacons would go, oh, don't worry about it. You're in, you're in. Right. And then all of a sudden we'd lose a guy. And you go, did you just see what happened? Right. So for every time you tell me I'm in, I'm in, you guys need to be quiet. Do you think you were keeping your expectations low because you didn't want to get hurt at the end? Or was it also helpful to be like, I'm just doing this. No matter what, if I don't become a deacon, then there are ways in which I will serve the church in other ways, and I just won't do it quite this way. It's going to be okay. Or were you? do you think you're trying to protect yourself from, I really, the more you did it, the more you're like, I really want this. What was what was your mindset? Five uh, years is such a long time to work on this. Yeah, I, five years of, yeah, I would have been destroyed. Yeah. I think, and, and we did have a guy that right there in the last year, he was cut loose. Yeah. Um, and it was very, very, very hurtful. Uh, and painful for him. Um, I think it would have been for me as well. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, I I don't know. I don't know that I was keeping it low to try and keep the pain away because it would have been painful no matter what. Yeah. It was just that this wrestling with why do you want me, God? Why are you calling me? Because I did not feel worthy. Um, and that's one of the things I've always struggled with is not feeling loved. Um, and so understanding how much God loved me and, yeah, I'm not worthy of this, but he's calling me anyhow. And it's like, okay. And there's that phrase, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the ones he calls. And so I I guess I can be okay with that. I honestly think if God wants it, it's going to happen. And I got to that point where it's like, why did you choose me? And just struggling with that, that idea of why did you choose me? And some days I still struggle with that. And usually when I do that, all of a sudden I get a note from somebody that says, you know, something you said in one of your homilies yeah. really hit home and really, really helped me. Or someone will send me something that says, hey, we're really happy that you're our deacon. And it's, it's like, as soon as I start questioning, God goes, I got you. I got you. You're doing what I want you to do. Just keep doing what I want you to do. So it sounds like if you keep it God-focused, uh, it feels good. Do, how, what do other people inside and outside of the church think about your being a deacon and thought about your five years of becoming a deacon? Like, Well, you've got people who apply it, love it, and support you. Um, I definitely have people who support me. And then you have people who hate you. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that piece. 
of knowing that there were people who were going to be worried that I was taking away their roles in the church, you know, stuff that they did. Okay. And As in, if you become a deacon at this particular church, then right. that's going to change what the other right. people can right. do. And so um, kind of the, the venom that came out of that was not, I, I wasn't expecting those kind of things. Um, and so after I was ordained, you know, running into that and being told, well, our parish doesn't need a deacon by individuals, you just kind of go, you have to step back for a moment and go, wow, okay. So we're not talking, you, for instance, talked about some of the ritual things, and it's very clear on what the priest, what, it's clear what the priest can do, and if the priest wants the deacon there, it's clear what the deacon can do. You're talking about other ways in which you serve the church right. by visiting and the right. things that are not involved in that Sunday ritual right. or that daily mass. Right. Um, and so those are very human things. And so there's a very human side of the church, and that's what we have to remember. There's a lot of people who um, think very bad things about the church because of the human aspects of it um, and really think that the church should be this haven of saints and when, in fact, it's a hospital for sinners. It's, it's not a place where everybody is, is um, this goody-goody person. No, we're all sinners, and so we all have these aspects in our lives that are not good, and we have to we have to recognize that, yeah. and that there are very hurtful and mean people in the church, and in every church. I've run into them in every church, and that's that's horrible that they're there to, and they they feel like that's their role in in the church is to hurt and be mean, um, and especially whenever you get into um, the things that have happened to kids in the Catholic Church. I've everything that I've had to go through in the Catholic Church to train me to spot people who might potentially hurt kids, mm -hmm. I think has been helpful. I think the church has done a lot of great things to try and say, let's not let this ever happen again. Are there gonna be people who slip through? I think so. I hope not. I really hope not. Um, but now you're looking at all these things happening in school systems. And I'm going, if we just had that training over there for families and for teachers and for administrators, I look at all these good things the church has done. Now, the church has also done some very bad things in the way they handled it. And how they talked about it and how they didn't talk about it and what they didn't say. Did that cause you, I mean, so during your five years and before that, how did, how did you wrestle? Did your feelings, how did you, how did you wrestle with that? Well, I'm a little bit different because I, I view the church, I, I know that there are different models of the modes of the church. So there's this very human aspect of the church where we are involved and we create the bureaucracy piece of it and we create these, these moments of um, either moments that are good or more than likely we use our human aspect and we create these bad moments. Um, but that's not the church in my mind. In my mind, the church is something very different. And, and really, it was a moment for me and I was struggling in my formation of why do I want to be a deacon for that is this broken, scarred, beaten, bruised, um, because it has been by people. The church is this beautiful bride of Christ, and yet 
as I was looking out there, all I saw was all the, the pain that was caused and the hurt and the scars. And I was kneeling in a moment of prayer. And all of a sudden, this thought just came to me. Who are you to talk about my bride? And then the readings that day talked about how God heals his bride and loves his bride and that all those things are not his bride. So these things are happening in the church, but that's not the church. The church is a lot of set teachings, and there was a lot of misunderstanding about church teaching um, because people will go out and they'll, they'll tell me, well, this is the teaching of the church. N no. <laughs> that might have been what you were taught right. somewhere, but that's not the teaching of the church. But I see there's a difference. I mean, obviously the people are in the church of the church the, yeah so they the are the, the church a piece of the but church. there's a but yeah there's a there's a separate spiritual thing right that's rising a, above the living yeah. church yeah I, and yeah we are this this piece of the church as well we are that human body of the church um but i can separate the two and go in my mind i don't know for me it's easier to separate the two and i can say no that wasn't from God. That was from us and our human and our fallen nature. Yeah. We did that. And so we need to correct those pieces. The church's teaching was always clear. You don't do that. Right. But we did. And I mean, even, even when we get into the Old Testament, God, had, his teaching was clear. Follow me. Follow me. Nothing else. And the people always went, okay, we'll follow you. And then they turned to the left <laughs> or they turned to the right. It's like, where are you going? What are you doing? Well, are we any different today? Yeah, we'll follow you. Hang on, let me get my phone. <laughs> it, it, the GPS is saying, I got to go over here. Right. So, I don't know. For, for Yeah, it was a struggle. But it's whenever, like I said, in those moments of struggle, usually there's an answer either in Scripture or in prayer that is just like, okay, I need to realize God can heal all that. And I need to be a part of the healing, not a part of digging in the wounds and making them deeper. Well, I appreciate your taking the time. This is very interesting. I always love talking religion with you. I always enjoy talking religion with you as well. You're my, you're my good. Wait, well, no, hang on, because I remember when we first started talking religion. You were my atheist Jewish friend, right? And you, I could never reconcile. That's the one thing I could never reconcile. Well, I was atheist, and then I was Jewish, and the, you know, no, no, you said you were an atheist Jew, and I went, you can't. How, that. You can't. You can be. You can be. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this was uh, Josh Fultz, and uh, he is a deacon, a permanent deacon. Permanent deacon. In the Catholic Church.